A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. On that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of strength, a spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. Not by appearance shall he judge, nor by hearsay shall he decide, but he shall judge the poor with justice and decide aright for the lands afflicted. He shall strike the ruthless with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Justice shall be the band around his waist, and faithfulness a belt upon his hips. Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. The cow and the bear shall be neighbors. Together their young shall rest. The lion shall eat hay like the ox. The baby shall play by the cobra's den, and the child lay his hand on the adder's lair. There shall be no harm or ruin on all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse, set up as a signal for the nations, the Gentiles shall seek out, for his dwelling shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. O God, with your judgment endow the king, and with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice and your afflicted ones with judgment. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace till the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. He shall rescue the poor when he cries out, and the afflicted one when he has no one to help him. He shall have pity for the lowly and the poor, the lives of the poor he shall save. May his name be blessed forever, as long as the Son, his name, shall remain. In him shall all the tribes of the earth be blessed, all the nations shall proclaim his happiness.
Dominus Fobiscum. Lexio Sancti Evangelis Secundum Lucam. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the childlike. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Turning to the disciples in private, he said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I say to you, many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Verbum Domini. The well-known novelist Taylor Caldwell was born in England in 1900. She emigrated to the United States in 1907. She died in 1985. She wrote many bestsellers. She received many literary awards. And she would like to take a character, a fig figure from the past and write a fictional novel about them based on the history that we know from that time. So she wrote a book called Glorious Physician about St. Luke, which is published by Ignatius Press. But she recounted an event that happened in 1974. And she said life had become unbearable. She had a trip planned to the Holy Land trying to get some inspiration for a future novel. And she had some heart issues that were going on, but she said, I just, and I was advised to spend a month in the hospital, but I just didn't care really what happened. And so she was that upset and depressed about the way things were going. So she's traveling to the Holy Land and on her way there, she stops in Athens for a layover. And the flight was delayed, and she put that in quotation marks, almost a point to something providential that happened in that flight delay of two hours in Athens. And there she's tired. She's just kind of overwhelmed with life. She wants to close her eyes and just try to get away from the pain for a while. The airport was noisy, lots of children. And this couple, quite shabby, the mother, probably 19, the husband, uh, 21 or so, she guessed, and they had a newborn infant. And they sat down next to her. She gives them kind of a look. 
But you know, God likes to interrupt our brooding sometimes, to interrupt our sullen thoughts, and to enter into that to bring us some light and hope. And so she was taken by this couple because they weren't dressed for the cold that time of the year. It was December. And uh, they weren't really dressed. Their clothes were thin and they were shabby. They were obviously emaciated. They obviously hadn't been eating well. Even the infant that was being carried was too pale and thin for his, his, uh, his age. And yet she noticed that they were radiantly happy. They had this just profound joy about them. And she was so, she said, I didn't engage people usually in conversations, strangers I didn't know, but I was so taken with them that I first spoke to them in French. Maybe they know French. And he shook his head. He spoke back in German. And so she didn't know German. But then he speaks in English slowly but clearly, which, she, of course, she understood. And he tells her a story that she said was one of the most moving stories I've ever heard. And this was before, of course, the Berlin Wall had fallen, and they were from East Germany. They had grown up under communist rule in East Germany, and it was really intolerable, intolerable. His parents, and their, both, all of their parents, were people of faith, and it was forbidden to teach religion. They wouldn't just embrace communism wholeheartedly, so they weren't given ration cards. They just had to kind of try to make it and survive, but their parents wanted them to realize the dignity they had without just shucking that whole dignity, their, their human dignity. But when this couple had married, they decided, and the, the parents had taught them the faith, and when this couple had married, they decided and they had their first baby born on Christmas Day. They decided, we don't, want our, we don't want our son to grow up like this again. We're going to take the chance to find our way across the Berlin Wall. If we die, we die. But we don't want to raise our child like this. And so Taylor goes on how it took them like four hours to just get out of the, the city they were in to secretly make it around the communist police. And they had someone who had brought them to this thread that was going to lead them through the landmines to the, the wall where they could, the lowest part of the wall where they could make their way over. But as they're making their way, the wife had just given birth five days before. She was exhausted. They had to rest for a while under three trees, and suddenly they hear, halt! And the searchlights are going, and they hear the dogs coming. They see the communists coming with their guns. Anyone who was trying to escape across the Berlin Wall was usually just shot on the spot. And so they embraced each other, kissed each other, and prayed for a swift death. But then they told Taylor something that astounding that happened. Suddenly, a beautiful woman appeared 
more beautiful than an angel, they said. And she smiled at them, and she held out her, her robe that shielded them from the uh, communists and the dogs. And as the communists and the dogs are looking, the dogs are sniffing, and suddenly they run off howling. And the communists have got their lights, but they can't see them. I know I saw a man and a woman here. So eventually they just laugh about it. Well, it must have been just a shadow, and they walk off. And then she points them onward. And they make their way eventually over the Berlin Wall to freedom. And Taylor concluded that account with these words that the, the couple's names was Helmar and Elsa. Her memory is in our hearts like the sun, said Helmar. We will never be afraid again. And at, as the story is being told, she's just so absorbed in this story that all of a sudden the flight's called and she's kind of shaken out of what was going on. You truly saw her? Taylor said, truly, said Elsa. She remembered her own flight into Egypt. I looked back, Taylor wrote, when I neared the gates. The young parents were sitting side by side, their arms about each other, and the baby laughed on Elsa's knees as if he knew too, and so do I. My sadness and pain and despair left me. I had hope again. That's what the Advent season is about. This longing, the darkness, and yet there is this hope in a child, this child that's born for us. And today we had part of the, what's called by some as the book of Emmanuel. That's Isaiah chapter 7 through chapter 12. We have these prophecies of this child who's going to bring salvation. So chapter 7, a virgin will be with child, and she shall call him Emmanuel. Matthew quotes that at the birth of Jesus, saying that which means God is with us. So that's chapter 7. Chapter 9, we're familiar with from Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and on his shoulders dominion rests. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Of his government and of his peace there shall be no end. So another child is born another child. And then today is called the Messianic prophecy par excellence in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, the longest and most detailed prophecy of the coming of this child, this royal son of David. The spirit is resting upon him. He's going to judge with justice. His belt is faithfulness. I think that's an attribute of God we need to 
reflect upon God's faithfulness to us. With a little child to guide them, there's going to be this restoration of this harmony, of this peace, even among the animals. A little child shall lead them. That's the quotation mother wanted for the shrine of the Blessed Sacrament and the temple of El Divino Nino, the child Jesus. A little child shall lead them. And then that this root of Jesse that's going to spring up, so of the line of David, the Gentiles shall seek out. He's going to gather all of the nations, all of the peoples are going to be gathered. So the book of Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7, that a virgin shall be with child, he will be called Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, upon him dominion rests. And Isaiah chapter 11, all that he's going to bring, all that the Messiah is going to bring. There's a wonderful book, unfortunately it's out of print, but you can find used copies of it. The Way of the Lamb by a wonderful scholar, John Sayward. I actually had him in seminary. He's now a priest. And he made a contrast in this book about the communist view, Marx's view of children, Marx's view, Karl Marx, and the Christian view of children. You know, our Lord sp spoke of our need to be childlike, that the things that are hidden from the wise and the learned are going to be real, revealed to the childlike. So I'd just like to read just a couple of quotations here where he contrasts Karl Marx's vision of children. According to Karl Marx, childhood is a state of dependence and therefore a synonym of slavery. Only when a human being is independent, indebted to no one, does he truly become a person. Belief in the creator is to be rejected because it maintains all mankind in the servile, infantile posture of dependence. A being regards itself as independent only when it stands on its on its own feet. And it only stands on its own feet when it owes its existence to itself alone. Of course, that's not in accord with reality. And we can strive to be independent, but in reality, we're not. And so contrast that, and he talks about the pagan cultures, how really children were seen as just undeveloped human beings, and they could be sacrificed. Tertullian in the second century talks about how there was often children were just sacrificed. There was infanticide because they were seen as less than persons. Sound familiar? But then contrast that with the Christian view of the child and the dignity of the child. St. Therese teaches us this, and this is what John Sayward talks about how her little way is an expression of the dogma of creation, of our dependence upon God for our natural being and activity. But that is not all. 
It's also the practical expression of the dogma of our recreation, our dependence upon God, even for taking a step toward God, but always requires his grace for us to grow in virtue. I am too small, Therese wrote, to climb the rough stairway of perfection. I searched in the scriptures for some sign of this elevator. They had elevators at her time. I wanted this elevator. I didn't want to climb the stairway of perfection, the, the difficult, rough way. And I read these words from Proverbs, whoever is a little one, let him come to me. The lift to raise me to heaven is your arms, O Jesus. And for that I have no need to grow up, but rather to stay small and become smaller and smaller. Merit, she wrote, does not consist in doing or giving much, but rather in receiving and loving much. There's no need to despair about reaching the summit of the mountain of love because Jesus does not ask for great actions, but only for abandonment and gratitude. And Dr. Sayward, Father Sayward, goes on to speak about how she grew in this devotion to the Holy Innocents that we celebrate December 28th, these first martyrs for Christ. They didn't merit it. They were baptized in their blood, and yet they inherited heaven. And she thought of her own brothers and sisters who had died in infancy or early childhood too. And she said, I spoke to them with the simplicity of a child, telling him that as I was the last in the family, I'd always been the most loved, overwhelmed by the affection of my sisters, and that if they, they had remained on earth, they would have also given me proofs of their affection. Her infant brothers and sisters who had died and were now in heaven, if they had stayed, they would have given me, you would, give, you would have given me signs of affection. The response was not long in coming. Soon, soon peace began to flood in my soul with its delightful waves, and I understood that if I was loved on earth, I was also loved in heaven. From that moment, my devotion grew for my little brothers and sisters. And then finally, I'll just close with this final quote of St. Therese to help us to grow in this childlikeness that Jesus spoke of in the gospel. She explained her way to her superior mother, Agnes. She said, I felt I was incapable of earning my living, the eternal life of heaven. So I've always stayed small. My only occupation is picking flowers and the flowers of love and sacrifice and offering them to the good God for his pleasure. Being small also means not attributing the virtues you practice to yourself. Because you believe you're capable of something, but rather you're going to recognize that the good God gave this treasure to you be able, to be able to practice virtue. He, get, he put this treasure in the hand of his little child for him to use when he needs to. But it's still the treasure of the good God. John Sayward said, this is the way of sanctity, but also of sanity. You know, Marx, drew, uh, Marx died insane. He lost his mind. Because you can't persevere in that kind of idea that I must be independent. 
that I am not a creature. I am not dependent. I stand on my own two feet. Doesn't work because it's not true. It's not reality. A child has been born for us. Upon his shoulder, dominion rests. And he says to us that it is a childlike that can understand these things.